Just a friendly reminder that the opinions expressed on this show are not worth a Canadian penny, so disregard anything you hear that might get anyone in trouble. And despite some of the great ideas you may hear, don't try them at home. Go to friend's house instead. Hello and welcome to episode 147 of Slamfire Radio for March 18th, 2016. I'm one of your hosts, Adriel, the hunting gear guy, Michaud. I'm, I'm yeah. Oh, that's you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you did that on purpose, didn't you? I might have. You're mean. <laughs> you were just going on about interrupting him, so I knew I had to interrupt you. It's expected for you to interrupt me, but not when I introduce myself. All right, uh, I'm Trevor. And I'm Matthew. And I'm Kelly. And oh, by the way, Adriel, you said episode 147 very nicely. Yes. Oh, thank you. But you just... <laughs> <laughs> but, when, but when you just told him he said it nicely, you said it incorrectly. <laughs> Did you'll I? Back, yeah, you'll go back and you'll listen. You'll 100, it's very 147. Good. No and. You're not allowed to say and. It's a new thing. <sighs> the and right. represents the decimal. Except there's no decimals in our episodes. Right. Yeah. And next. <laughs> <laughs> Adriel, that's your cue. He quit. <laughs> he quit. He's gone. All right. I guess I'll start off with what I did with guns then. Ho- right. ho- hopefully he's not too far gone. Um, I was talking the whole time, and uh, apparently when you hit the space bar, the, when the cat hits the space bar, it mutes the microphone. Oh, that's a neat feature. Yeah. All right, so, so is it my turn? It's, it's your turn. Man, we've butchered this beginning. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no, Matthew, I'm not. Never mind. <laughs> um, what, what was that, Kelly? Comfrey crops. The Comfrey crops are in, in, I don't care about Comfrey. Um, yeah, no, uh, yeah, last week I was hanging out with Owen doing uh, airplane stuff. But uh, also last weekend, Trevor came and visited, and I didn't listen to last week's show, so I'm not sure how much he covered. But uh, he and I went to the range. What's that, Trev? Very little. Oh, good. So you you and I went to the range, and we shot uh, some pistols and had some fun. And you got to experience firsthand uh, the awesomeness of my wolf ammo. Yes, I did. Is that the wolf wolf ammo that uh, you got from SFRC? Correct. Okay. Yeah, no, um, from, where was the first distance we shot from, Trav? Maybe 10 yards, maybe? No, I think we went in closer. Well, yeah, you're right. The we first started, distance. We start, yeah, we started 10, and I couldn't believe it, so we moved up. Yeah, so, yeah, it was, it was oh, a good foot across, and, uh, and you could see the bullet holes were, pr- like, outlines Evil. of the bullet, <laughs> like on its side, the profile, the bullet went through the target sideways. Yep, and deep. so Trevor's like, well, let's move up quite a bit closer. So we moved up to, I don't know, like, I don't even know what it was, five, maybe five seven. yards. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it wasn't nearly as big of a, a group, but it was still absolutely ridiculous. We switched ammo and just started putting bullets through the same hole at the same distances. Oh. So that ammunition is just, at least the batch that I got, I don't want to say wolf ammo is crap because I know lots of people have used it and are very happy with it. Maybe I just got a bad batch. Don't know. I'm not going to slag it. I'm not going to say don't don't buy it. It's garbage. I'm just saying my experience with it was not good. Well, we've seen 
Kelly and Kevin shoot it. We've seen Jay yep. and Jessica shoot it in training classes here, and we've never seen that before. No. What? What? Which ones are you using? One twenty-four grain. No, I don't know if it, I think it was one twenty. Uh, I think it was one twenty. Yeah, one. One twenty-seven or one twenty-four. One twenty-four. I think is what it was. Yeah, I tried to get the one forty-seven, but they were all out. So. Yeah, usually we get the one twenty-four, and it's fine. But yeah. What are you using? What are you? What gun are you using? It's Glock. And it doesn't like it. No, we also tried really? it in Trevor's FN. Huh. Same thing. It uh, did not did not perform well at all. Usually runs fine in the uh, Glock that I have, and also Kevin's M and P. Interesting. So, I wonder if they're using a different bullet because if they're t- if they're going sideways and you're getting a group size that big of ten yards, it's got to be undersized bullets. Could be. Could mm-hmm. be. I, I don't know. I mean, didn't we look at the crimp, Matthew, to see if it was overly crimped and it wasn't even necessarily overly crimped? No, yeah, exactly. The ammunition looks good by by the eye, anyway. Mm-hmm. So, I'm not sure. Not sure what it was. You know, bad batch, whatever. Like you said, you've had good experience with it, so I won't uh, I won't tell people not to get it. So, just uh, just wanted to share my experience and Trevor's experience with it. Um, also, uh, Trevor uh, was generous enough to leave me his four-inch FN FNS, and uh, I've been working on a, a video review of that, which uh, is scripted, and uh, some of the primary footage has or secondary footage has been shot. So you guys can watch for that on YouTube. It's going to be a, another cool video. So I'm, I'm enjoying the gun. The, the pistol is it's neat. I like it. I like the simplicity of it. I like how how ambidextrous it is right out of the box there's no you don't need to switch nothing over you can just pick it up and start shooting whether you're a righty or a lefty you know it's 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 a really nice gun my you know i've got two complaints well actually that's not true i've got a couple of complaints but my chief complaints are the uh i I don't like the trigger out of the box but that's not to be concerned with because as trevor can attest to and so can i because i've shot his other fn as well that trigger cleans up very nicely just with use um, so that's, that's something to not be concerned with. I, I also just, I don't find it comfortable in my hand. I find the grip a little small, actually, if anything. And, narrow. uh, yeah, it's narrow. It reminds me a bit of my SR9, actually. Slim. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and I, I switched to the Glock from my SR9 because the Glock grip was a little bit thicker. And uh, I found that as soon as I put this down and picked up my Glock, I was, oh, yeah, this is what shooting a gun's supposed to be like again. <laughs> but again, that's personal preference. That just comes down to me having long piano player fingers, even though I don't play the piano. Well, you're right, Matthew. If I could jump in here for a second, there is something to be said about that because I prefer a Glock Gen 4 with no backstrap over a Glock Gen 3. Right. So the FN grip size is smaller and closer to a Gen 4 Glock than it certainly is to a Gen 3 Glock. You're right. Yep. So, yeah, you know, it just comes down to what fits in your hand best. And that's why we always say, what you know, when somebody asks, what pistol should I get? You got to go try them. You can't. There's no mm-hmm. one pistol for everybody. You got to go out, try it, shoot the gun for yourself, and see what fits your hand best. Now, Matthew, did you find the, um, I believe Brian Bolivar, uh well, the way he described them, he could have very well called them grip spikes. But men call them <laughs> grip texturing. Do you find the grip texturing overly aggressive and did it hurt your buttermilk skin fingers? <laughs> There's texturing. Is there texturing on the gun? Like, do they, do they put, I mean, uh, oh, those little nubs they have there on the side and then the front? Yeah, apparently the little, like the little ones blocked. there. Yeah. No, I, I was, I was going to put some grip tape on to add, add some grip, actually. I mean, I didn't find them, you know, 
aggressive okay. at all. I thought so they were okay. They didn't tear up your sensitive girly hands. Well, I'm not a, you know, I'm I'm not a. a, a no offense taken. No <laughs> <pencil> pusher. <laughs> Well, I'm not an engineer, I guess. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so we have two podcasters now that have admitted that the grips have hurt their hands. That's Tom Nelson, formerly of the Gun News, now of Paracast, and Brian Bolivar of Modern Rifleman Radio, or as I like to call them, Delicate Hands Radio. <laughs> so, no, uh, I'm sorry. Carry on, Matthew. That No, I, I was just actually going to comment on how smooth the grip was and how comfortable it was. I just Imagine. want to toss Brian under the bus one more time. Um, in all honesty, though, the, uh, the texturing is, I, it, it's, it's mildly aggressive. It is. Um, it doesn't hurt when I shoot it. I don't find it painful, but I could see how it could be, I guess. I, I just wanted to, you know, help Brian there a little bit. Didn't want him to be backed over by the bus, you know, just run him over once is all we need to do. You're dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, it's a fun gun to shoot, and uh, I'm looking forward to taking it back out to the range and putting some more rounds through it before I give it back to you. So, Have you been out with it since uh, no. we were... No? No, not yet. It's uh, it, We've been having some really crap weather here. I haven't... Uh, yeah. I'm been... very much looking forward to you doing an accuracy comparison with the Glock. So am I. I'm very interested in seeing how it holds up. So... Yeah, no, it's uh, that. That's pretty much what I did the last little while. Uh, I guess we're moving on to Trevor. What did you do? Um, last week I was talking about my world's finest trimmer. No, sorry, no, we're done with that. Um, last week we were talking about the two two three ammunition I was loading and how it wasn't dropping into the case gauge. Um, the other ammunition that I've loaded for my airs with VMAX bullets, with Hornady 55 grain soft point bullets, factory ammunition, everything else I have drops into the case gauge. A piece of resized trimmed brass drops into the case gauge. But when I try and drop in a bullet that I load with a 55 grain Campro bullet, projectile rather, it drops in the case gauge, but it stays, it doesn't go in all the way. You can push it in and it goes in. Uh, but generally, it sticks out just enough where the rim of the case is right above the, the top of the case gauge rather than lying flush inside the case gauge. So I started looking at all the different variables. I even decided to single stage some. Um, I used different seating dies, a different press altogether. What it finally came down to, and it was um, Jim, oh, not Jim, sorry, uh, Jeremy over at the Reloading Podcast. I've been talking with uh, with them in a Facebook message. I have a feeling I'm going to be talking to them a lot more in the future. Um, he said, what about the Ogive or Ogive, depending on where you're from and how you pronounce it? And for the <laughs> listeners that don't know, the Ogive is the curve of the bullet from where it goes from straight, the part that contacts the rifling as it's going down the barrel, to where it, go, it curves out to the tip. So the angle or the shape of that curve is the Ogive. Well, sure enough, that's the only difference between all the other projectiles that I've loaded in my 223 ammo the um, it's very kind of roundish and robust if you will bulgy the Vmax projectile is very pointy uh, with uh, you know acute angles not uh, not obtuse and to test this what I did was I overinserted one of these Campro bullets into a case and what do you know it drops into the case gauge just like all the other ammo in the house. So I've never, uh, it's a new issue for me. I've not come across this before. 
And um, so I loaded up some dummy rounds with no primer, no powder, just threw the bullets into the empty cases and manually cycled them through three or four different ARs and my VZ-58 and everything chambered and extracted correctly. So I'm going to stop worrying about it. So your your bullets were hitting the lands? Is that no. what was happening? No. The shape of the Campro projectile actually causes it to hit part of the case gauge and doesn't allow the bullet to fall all the way into the case gauge so that the head of the uh, the head stamp is flush with the case gauge. Would it work? Would they work in your AR though? Were they having uh, problems loading? Um, I thought so. So what I did was I um, loaded up some dummy rounds and manually cycled them through my air and they chamber and extract without any issue. But because of the shape of the O-Jive, they just don't like to go all the way into the case gauge. Hmm. That, that answer your question? Does that make sense? Can you still use them in your rifle or is it, are they just causing problems with the case gauge? Correct. Yeah. Oh. They will chamber and extract from my rifle when I manually cycle it without issue. Well, I so. guess that's some silver lining to it because you can still use the bullets. Yeah, 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 because I have 2,000. I was <laughs> just going to ask, how many did you buy? Yeah, 2,000, and yeah. I loaded I loaded 1,500 before I decided to start case gauging them. <laughs> yeah, well, I wanted to, I decided, Kelly, I was going to, like, basically treat this ammo like I do my pistol match ammo, put it all through the case gauge, and because this brass is, my X die is adjusted to this brass, if I retrieve this brass, I can resize it my X die and skip the whole step of trimming. So I wanted to mark it all so that when I go to a match or I go to a uh, training class or whatever, um, when I'm picking up brass, I'll know which brass I can put in one bucket and simply clean and, and put through the X die and which brass needs to be resized in a different die and trimmed. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I'm glad I got that uh, straightened out. Um, I'm going to skip this next thing and go to some reloading I did. I loaded... Um, more 308. When I'm done, I'm going to have almost 500 rounds of 308 loaded for my target rifle. So that ought to hold me for a while. Considering I shoot it probably about 50 times a year, I should be good for a while. Probably. Yeah. I also cleaned up some 44 Magnum brass and reloaded some 44 Magnum. And oh, I um, I don't know if you guys remember me talking about my cracked FNS holster that I got from Red Hill Tactical last year. Yes. Mm-hmm. It was a single layer Kydex. I talked to him. And he was great about sending me a replacement, um, an upgrade, actually. All I had to do was pay the difference in price from my original holster to the upgraded holster. It has a, uh, it's just a double and has, um, you can adjust the the, um, the tension to make it easier or harder to pull out. So it is an upgrade. It's thicker and it's more, and it's adjustable. But he didn't send a, um, a tech lock or any way of mounting it to your belt. So... Um, Matt Lorette has the same holster and he, he had a tech lock on his and he told me about this product that, um, Blatech makes that does a dropped and offset. So you, uh, screw it to the tech lock, which goes to your belt. And then the holster is dropped, which is, you know, lower down your leg and offset out away from the body. But the muzzle is now pointed into my leg. It's dropped and offset and canted. And at first I thought the cant would be good because it would give me some room to, get my hand and my thumb in, in there to, to draw it, but it's it's pointed right into my leg, so I'm not sure. Have you guys ever worked with one of these before? Blade Tech dropped and offset things? Yes, I used to run one when I first started 
uh, IPSEC. And uh, same as you, I noticed that it, it does. It, it points the gun directly into your thigh, basically. And, uh, you know, it. people run them and very few people get shot. But at the same time, I just didn't want to be one of those guys that did. So I switched to a, a holster that points straight down my leg and not pointing at me. I wonder if I can just put some shims in it or something to make it straight down my leg. I'll talk Maybe. To yeah, I'll talk yeah. to Lorette and see what he thinks. But I, yeah, I like the Dremel. Anything's possible. <laughs> <laughs> I need to add in this case, not take away. So stick away yeah. from the other side. There you go. That's how that. That's how that works. So, <laughs> and um, this next thing might freak some people out if they haven't been following us on Facebook. Um, they will not know. So uh, be afraid. Be very afraid. Not only did I buy a gun with wood on it, I bought a Milserp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're basically off the show, so <sighs> it's not pretty. It's, it's elegant. Pretty. It's not pretty. Little girls' tricycles that are pink <laughs> with ribbons on the handlebars are pretty. You're right, Trevor. That that rifle is cute. Oh, you're cute. off the it's show. Pretty. Anyway, it's got a nice patina. <laughs> Thank you, Christina. That's what she told me. So I think I think my wife has watched too many episodes of Pawn Stars. I'm I'm trying to decide whether or not to get it completely refinished or not, right? So it's like, well, I know if you refinish it, it'll ruin the collector's value, so there's that argument. But then I was like, you know what? It's not a $5,000 firearm. It's not even a $1,000 firearm. It is a really cool um, example of the Lee-Enfield rifle. It's a savage Lee-Enfield rifle, and it's 100% original, all matching numbers, and every part that you can think of has been stamped with an S to signify that it is part of this Savage rifle. Um, so it's rarer than other Enfields. Uh, Filthy told me they only made about 200,000. Um, but it's a number four Mark One Lee Enfield. It's not a Colt single action army, right? So am I, re- am I, you know, we're talking about destroying the value here. Well, we're not, you know, I don't know. So, I'm having this conversation with Christina, and she's like, no, God, don't refinish it. Look at all the original patina. Yeah, I know, right? God, give me a break. Anyway, yay or nay? Matthew, refinish or just clean it up? Um, I'd clean it up, see what it looks like, and then decide whether or not you're going to refinish it. All right. Uh, Adriel, refinish or no? No, I wouldn't refinish it. All right. Kelly? I'd say no. And the reason why I say no is because you also have the bag that it goes in, Everything, just keep it original. Hmm. Throw some linseed on it. Well, first thing I'm going to do, and I don't think anyone will object to this, is I ordered some ballastol this week. I've been on a ballastol for a while. And ballastol is great for everything, including wood. So I want to wipe it down, at least get the grime and the sweat. Like, I stripped this rifle down, detail stripped. I mean, detail. I took everything off of it, except maybe the front sight and the rear sight. I don't think it's ever been disassembled. I'm pretty sure there was some Nazi blood in there under the under the handguard, which is fine, but it was never taken apart. So um, I cleaned up a couple of little rust spots on the trigger guard uh, with some steel wool, and the, just like I said, I want to at least wipe the wood down, so I'll do that with ballastol, and then we'll see no. what's left. The Nazi no. blood maintains the value. You can't wipe it off. <laughs> How are you going to clone your own Nazi zombie army? Hmm. True. You guys need help. <laughs> so, uh, Adriel, okay, she she raises a good point. Why do you say no to refinishing? Uh, you know, something that old and, and something that rare, 
uh, you know, how many of those savages are around in that condition. So if, if there's not that many, uh, I would, I would keep it as original as possible. You know, if it's one of the millions that are out there that, you know, it's been hacked up anyways, the stock has been hacked and sporterized and who cares what you do with it. But to have like an original, uh, of, of an off make like Savage is, uh, is really interesting. And it's, it's got some collectability value that you're going to ruin if you do anything too crazy to it. Okay. So am I just not understanding the actual value of this firearm then? Maybe it is, uh, more rare than I think it is and more valuable than I think it is. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think it, I don't think it's monetarily extremely gotcha. valuable, valuable, but it is almost historically. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, it could. I mean, if it's if it's in like how many did you say that they produced? Two hundred thousand. Yeah. Oh, I thought I thought we were talking about like thousands, like uh, like a Two few thousand. Two hundred thousand is quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a question for you. The bag that it came in had Poirier written on it. Are you yes. gonna you gonna find out who that was? Or I know who know? that was. Oh, really? That, yeah, that is um, the gentleman, the 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 veteran who owned it. Um, I mean, he didn't. Uh, he served in the Navy, I believe. This wasn't something that was his. He acquired it many many decades ago. But uh, yeah, he did write his name on it. So uh, it was Eddie Poirier. Long, lifelong member of the Reshkush Gun Club, possibly even one of the founders. Who knows? He's been around that long. And uh, father-in-law of Sean DeMoss, actually, uh, Matthew, who you know very well. Cool. Yeah, Very cool. So that's where the name Poirier comes from. Uh, that wasn't the man who the rifle was issued to. That was just Eddie who put his name on the case. Okay. So, I yeah. thought you could have this whole big story, you know. and Yeah, that would yeah. be pretty, yeah. No. No. So. Okay. Well, I'll clean the wood with something that won't ruin the original finish, and that'll probably be as far as I go. One thing I'm really excited about, the bore is crystal clean. So I don't think it's got a lot of rounds to it. Mm -hmm. I meant to do the bullet trick where you stick the bullet in the front as a quick and dirty indicator of whether or not the bore is shot out or worn, at least at the muzzle, but I keep forgetting to do that. So, And uh, it also came with a bunch of um, uh, ammunition from back 1943, I think it's dated. <laughs> I won't be shooting any of that because of, you know, hang fires and, and probably corrosive. So, yeah. So that's it for me. Adriel, how about you? What have you been up to? Oh, just a bunch more prep. Um, so I've been uh, prepping out that Stoger 3500 for three gun. I've got a, an extended bolt release and an oversized safety just sitting in front of me here. So the oversized safety is made for the Benelli M1 and M2. And I think I'm just going to convince it to work in the Stoger because I'm pretty sure there's some parts compatibility in there. At you're least I use, read so on the internet. You're going to use some reason and persuasion? Mm, yeah, aka the Dremel and uh, rubber mallet. No, I mean, exactly. <laughs> I think it's going to work. I think it's going to work. <laughs> and if not, you know, I'm 20 bucks out, so whatever. And I was going to ask you what brand the parts are because, for example, the charging handle on my Versamax... Yeah, is is also a Benelli a Benelli part. Uh, the charging handle I got on mine was an S and J part built for a Benelli, and I made it work. Uh, the extended bolt release that I got have here is an Osprey Ordnance. Mm. Um, let's see, what else? Do I've I got? got their I've got their No Jam followers, and mm-hmm. I've got their bolt release. Oh, they are such nicely finished parts. Yeah, they sent one of their uh, enhanced followers as well, so I might try Sweet. that. And the uh, the safety, yeah, I mentioned the safety is an SNJ part, so yeah, we'll have to get to that. I mean, the extended bolt releases, it's it's a, it's a really simple part. It's a piece of metal with a screw, and uh, it's just 
you know, to for for me to make that piece of metal with the screw and make it nice and and presentable and all that kind of thing, it would cost me more than twenty bucks. So heck, I'll I'll buy one for twenty bucks and put it on. Uh, also, I'll have to uh, drill and tap my uh, bolt release button and throw this guy on uh, tonight or tomorrow night. My three gun match is on Saturday. That's our first match of the year. So I want to uh, I want to have that ready for uh, for the match, ready to uh, cause me problems and uh, and bring in Murphy's Law, right? <laughs> mm. um what else did i do uh, uh just over the weekend we trimmed about a thousand brass uh just using the uh, world's finest trimmer and uh they get you get brass shavings everywhere with that thing well if you're using a drill much more so if you have it in a drill press it contains them a lot more i find yeah it contains like you can probably trim about 200 cases and it'll it'll contain them all and then after that it kind of starts flinging the brass everywhere but so, I mean, if you stop every 200 or so, you can just bang it out and, and the brass shavings will all come out. But uh, I'm too lazy. I want to do them all at once. So I just let them fly. And I, I used a, a box that we cut out. So I got a, a box that's cut out and it's got, you know, walls on kind of three sides and then open on the front. So you can stick your hands in and, and trim your brass. And it mostly stays in the box and doesn't get everywhere. So There's also a neat YouTube video that shows how a guy took a water bottle and modified the top of the water bottle to fit around the trimmer, and it acts as a brass shaving deflector shield. Ooh, I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. That'll that keep, being, keep it. So you you can look that up. It's under one of the world's finest trimmer videos on YouTube. You'll find it pretty quickly. Uh, but you are still wearing eye protection, right? You bet. Awesome. Yeah, eye protection. I wore gloves too, not because it was you know all that arduous, but if you're going to handle like that much brass, you might as well. I got a blister. Well, you get you, if you if you get brass shavings on your hands, you get brass shavings in between the brass and your hand, and that mm. slowly wears away. And yeah, yeah, any kind of repetitive task and and that kind of stuff can happen. Uh, I made a a, a, mag, a magnetic magazine holder. So when when um, when we're preparing for three gun, we always have to charge the pistol and holster it. And I have been using a drop pouch in behind me. But if I have to do a, a match where I've got rifle and pistol, uh, it's kind of, I don't know, you reach into your back pocket there and you might grab your pistol mag, you might grab your rifle mag. Um, or And if you've got to put shot shells in there, then you've got that in your drop pouch as well. So I just, I had a, an old uh, pistol holster here um, and I basically epoxied in some really strong, like those neodymium magnets kind of thing. And uh, so now it'll, now it'll just magnetically hold that first pistol magazine so I can charge my pistol really easily. Um, let's see. I broke the primer ram on the Dillon Square deal. So there's like a, a, a ram that pushes up and, uh, and seats the primer. And uh, it broke. It was the weirdest thing. It just like I was, I was making 9mm ammo and uh, uh, churning them out. And all of a sudden it just started dumping the primers everywhere and uh okay so i take the primer arm off and i'm like well the the rod looks fine but uh yeah it was the the, that little rod in there that uh, pushes the primer up just snapped at the base um i looked at pnd which is local to me and they didn't have that part so i'll probably have to uh call dylan and, and have them send me one i guess uh and then yeah i'm just preparing for a match this weekend uh getting a bunch of uh, getting all my ammo uh, getting my range gear all prepped out so that when I get there, it's not like in a mess. I mean, it's always interesting when you when you go to a match and you see how well your stuff stays together and how easy it is to find something at the end of the day. <laughs> because um, my first few matches, my 
my car, which kind of acted as like my, my range bag was a total mess at the end of the day. And it was because, you know, I just hadn't planned things out well enough and I hadn't uh, been as organized as I needed to be. Do you, did you just say you got a range bag? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I, like I just, I'd, I'd have a bunch of random stuff in my car and, and I'd have to go back and forth and it was, it was really messy at the end of the day. So I've, I'm I'm going to be better this year and I'm going to have that stuff better, uh, better prepared and better organized. I probably should have mentioned earlier that when I picked up those two CZ shadows a couple of weeks back to sell for that guy, that he also sent down a beautiful range bag, which is for sale. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, do you have a nice hip range bag? I do. Okay. Do you have a nice pretty pink holster? I don't do pink. All right. I am of no use to either of you. (laughs) Let's carry on. Matthew. Yeah? I don't know. I just feel like you're the only one not picking on me right now. Oh, okay. Um, Did you walk up any slight inclines recently? You know what? How's you? Look, (laughs) you asked. I mean, you're like, look, you're not making fun of me, so what do I do? Uh huh. Carry on, Adriel. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's all I did in guns this week. Kelly, how about you? I did a lot in guns this week. I went to the range on Sunday, went to Brockville. Uh, we had a guy that is looking to join the club, so we sponsored him. We took him and his girlfriend. Uh, we had a great time. Just like how Matthew sponsored me in AA? Yes. Somebody's awesome. got to be your sponsor, buddy. Thanks, right. man. <laughs> Keep me on the straight and clean. Well, I mean, I'll try. All right. And you're you're able to call him at any time, right? <laughs> yeah, but unlike Brian, I don't hang up on him. <laughs> I was going to hang up on him. So, yeah, we're sponsoring a guy named Chris. Uh, he's not used to Ontario. He's from Alberta. So yeah, he's trying to get used to what's happening here and the fact that you need to go to the range a few times and be sponsored too. So, yeah. Anyways, uh, so I took part my my rifle. So I was able to uh, cite that back in and I'm pretty happy with it. My groupings are back to being what I consider acceptable. So, um, which is good. And the BR 99, I'm still breaking it in. So went out and got some three inch magnums for it. And we tried that out on the range and it was fun. It was peppy. So, and everybody that walked by, I said, here, do you want to try this three inch magnums? And they all accepted. So nice. That was good. I, well, you know, if you're trying to put through 50 rounds eh, and it's three inch magnums, it, it's, as I said, it was peppy. So anybody who walked by, they were looking at it. I said, here, try it out. <laughs> Not so everybody, everybody accepted. And so I was still, um, uh, I tried to put through the, uh, two and three quarter target load. It's better than it was still not cycling, but yeah, you know, um, I got to try out a 1911 and I didn't hate it this time. And yeah, so that was what I did on Sunday and I've been working on the charity shoot stuff. So it's almost like it's taking a life of its own on now. So we've got so many sponsors and prizes and people are getting their invites sent to them and that as well. So every night I'm doing something on that as well. So that's good. Um, Adriel, I, uh, I'm organizing another ladies show. So Adriel gave me- So Adriel, you need to be on that show. Is that what you're asking him? Exactly. Because I'm in- What? <laughs> she, she's, she's in, you know, she's putting together a lady show and she's like, Adriel, we, we need you. And yeah. I'm just assuming on the show because, you know, you're a lady. Because I'm well, a ladies man. Oh, yeah. there it is. I knew it was something like that. <laughs> Somebody said to me today that there wasn't going to be any more- all ladies shows. Oh, come on. We were trying to get a reaction. <laughs> uh, well, it wasn't the reaction that you were looking for. Well, you two were conspiring. Yeah, yeah. Did Dramatic. she tell you what my answer was? Oh, she sent it to me. <laughs> Good. 
<laughs> so, gentlemen, I told uh, Stacy and Kelly, yes, conspiring to try and get a reaction out of me, said there wasn't going to be any more lady shows. And I said, whatever, okay. there will be another one, and this time it will be on Slamfire. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, Adriel gave uh, gave me the topic. Uh, one of the to- He asked me about what about starting up a women's club or a women's night, you know, trying to get more women involved in all that as well. So I have a few people that are coming on. One of the ladies that's coming on, her name is Susan, and the last event she had, she had 400 women show up at it. Wow. Yeah, amazing. So, uh, I'm sorry. (laughs) I don't see, there's no, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Anyways, yeah, so awesome. And uh, so we're going to do that. We're going to figure out how we can actually start either women's legs, nights, or whatever. Get more women out to the ranges and that as well. And, yeah. And so, Trevor, you asked me a question last week about my goals. What are my goals now that I've, I've met one of them? So it got me really thinking about some Good. of these. So I have a lot on my plate right now. I've been doing the things for the charity shoot right now. I'm kind of on kind of two podcasts. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> the public has spoken. This is nothing that is bigger than you. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and so I've also been challenged and I've accepted to try and help get a maple seed up and running here in Canada. And so we have to get everything behind that, planning, uh, logistics and everything too. So I'm on that. Uh, I, one of my real goals was to actually have a women's shooting group and I'm trying to figure out how I can actually fit in shooting and that too. And I really want to know what I want to do with that too. So I have to figure that out. So, yeah. Um, well, okay. A couple of, so obviously one of your goals is to figure out how to clone yourself. Yeah. Um, I know you're liking action shooting. Yep. But I think lately you've gotten pulled more into the maple seed world of things. Yeah, so I have. But. But. I, but I really like, I'm st- starting to really like the action and uh, the pistol side of it. Maple seed, it's about accuracy with the rifle. It's a different animal, yeah. It's also, yep. it's, it, it has its own challenges. It's, it's fun in its own way. Kind of like trap is good to try once and then you move on to the Ipsic. Yeah. Wait, no. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it's going to be, you're right. I mean, how are you going to start maple seed in Canada? Um, and uh, and become an action shooter at the same time. It's going to be, well. Yeah, and I also got asked to do something else, which I'm currently thinking about. But I'm thinking I'm going to have to wait until after the charity shoot mm. to do that, and uh, so that I can commit some time to it. So. Well, and this will be my final thing to say on this, so we can move on. You have to do what's going to make you happy. If you're if you're mm. doing maple seed for everybody else other than you, and you're not happy. Uh, if action shooting is what you really want to be doing with your time and your shooting, you got to do what you want to do. Oh, I'm I'm still going to be happy with doing maple seed or okay. or podcasting or you know the women's group or whatever. I just got to figure out how to clone myself. That's mm. all. Okay, as long as you understand. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, just really thinking about it. So, anyways, that's it for me. Awesome. Awesome. Let's uh, head over to upcoming events. So the there's going to be an R Pals safety course at Campbellton. Uh, that'll be April first, second, and third to register. Uh, call the CFO. Oh, we need a period in there. I'm doing the the uh, uh, 
Anchorman thing where I just read it right off the teleprompter. <laughs> That's all you're going to do, man. That's all you're going to do. It's perperfect. Carry on. Oh, here. Campbellton. Uh, that's the dates and then a period and to register. Oh, I'm going to put the period in the right spot. There we go. To register, call the CFO. Live editing, folks. <laughs> <laughs> that's because I won't do it. Oh, boy. Uh, let's, see, let's do the next one better here. The first annual, annual Ronnie DeGroot Rockout with your Glockout Steel Challenge will be June 4th, 2016. Uh, where, where is that one again? That's Restigush. Restigush again. You guys have all the cool stuff. Yes, we do. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, if it would be closer, it would be better. Uh, well, the sixth yeah, an- yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's so far away from Alberta here. I, gotta get- I know. I mean, yeah. Kelly Kelly was at our range. She goes, if I take a black badge, I want it to be here. <laughs> I did. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't make it, so I bailed on you. And if I did. You did right. Ahead. You did I right because your, your section wouldn't have wanted your membership. I know, that's so wrong. Anyways, let's move on. <laughs> the sixth annual charity shoot in support of Soldier On will take place June 25th in Kingston, Ontario. That'll be at the Brockville District Fish and Game Club. If you're interested, contact New Shooter Canada or check out their Facebook page. Question, yep. Kelly. Yep. Many people registered so far? We got, uh, yeah, we got a few. Um, every night I'm I'm sending out invites and that too, so. What's a few, a dozen? A dozen teen? Uh, more. More is there? I heard more. A rumor, I heard a rumor there might be a cap. Is there going to be a cap? <laughs> well, it has to be a cap at some point. There has to be a cap at some point, but yeah, I'm going. Never mind. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not for public disclosure at this time. No. Okay. I can't. Never mind. So what you're basically saying is get your registrations in soon. Mm. Get your registrations. It's only March the 17th of March. Oh, by the way, Happy St. Patrick's Day, you guys. Oh, oh yes. yeah. Yeah. Anyways. That's right. Aaron Cobra. Anyways, so get your registrations in soon. It's only March 17th, but we already have, yeah. When If you're talking 100 cap, we're approaching half of that right now. Wow. Biggest one ever. Yeah. And uh, sponsorship, wow. Yeah, we got some, some things happening there. So people are, there's lots of people coming. Way to step it up. I, 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 yeah, I predicted this would be the best one ever, and... Uh... We are well on our way. It's yeah, it's job. definitely going to be. Yeah, good job. And it, it's not just Kelly or no, the guys it's over. It's not just. It's not even just the guys over at New Shooter. You got Kevin working in the background too. Yep. And we also have other uh, people stepping up as well. You know, using their contact or suggestions on sponsorship and and things like that as well. So yeah, it's it's good. Cool. Excellent. Uh, the next one we have here is Got Your Six, a Wounded Warrior Charity Shoot. That one's being held at the Edson Fish and Game One Mile Range in Alberta from July 16th to 17th. Go to gotyoursixshoot.com for more information. And the last one we have here is the Rocky Mountain 300. That's coming up in June. Uh, it's, there's going to be 300 rounds in five stages. And if you want to see what the stage layout is, you can go to Rocky Mountain 300. That's the numbers 300.weebly.com forward slash stages dot html we'll have that link in the show notes so you don't have to re- try to write that down right now <laughs> yeah that's uh, a that's a few things to type <laughs> yeah uh for news uh kelly did you want to take this first one sure this one's in regards to something that was in the sun news so i'll just read it for you here a decorated war hero who lost both legs in afghanistan has dedicated his life to public service since then has uh, turned into news for tweeting up picture of his pistols. So Jody Matik, 
Um, Jody Matik uh, was clearly not too happy talking to the Sun today, or sorry, Tuesday, uh, about the uh, chief's concern. What happened was the chief of police in Ottawa was concerned about the Twitter post that he had posted. He said the guns were a gift for him and his wife, and they were meant for Christmas, but he just received them uh, in the mail. So he posted something about a piece of property, uh, and Jasmine is a police matter. Jasmine is Jasmine Crescent, which is in Ottawa, which currently has had some uh, recent uh, shootings. So he said, I'm responsible. I'm a responsible legal permit carrying gun owner, he said. Uh, I didn't see a link between the two. And he said the guns are safe. They're locked without ammunition in his home. And he vehement, vehemently, I uh, can't even pronounce that, <laughs> vehemently uh, denies they are posing any danger. If my guns were stolen, yeah, well, I mean, I don't know. I guess that's one way to look at it. I'm not putting anyone in danger. So they were talking, the the police was, or sorry, the chief of police was saying that uh, you shouldn't be posting anything online. Um, if you do post things online about uh, guns, you're setting yourself up for somebody to break into your home and steal your guns and, and basically causing um, safety concerns for the public and that as well. So, yeah, that's it. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, he. It looks like he was uh, fighting back a bit in terms of uh, just talking about it. So it's uh, it's interesting to see where that's going to go. Uh, Matthew, did you want to take this next one here? The one from James. Yep. Uh, a 43-year-old man has died after authorities say he accidentally shot himself in the face while taking selfies. The Skagit Valley Herald reports the man and his girlfriend were photographing themselves with the weapon on Sunday at a residence when he shot himself. The sheriff's office patrol chief, uh, Chad Clark, said the woman reported that she and the man had taken photos with the gun several times that day and that the man had loaded and unloaded the bullets multiple times. Clark says a bullet remained, apparently remained in the gun the final time he fired. <laughs> the death is being in investigated as accidental. The man's name has not been released to avoid... Uh, I know what his name was. <laughs> <laughs> embarrassment. Captain Dumbass. <laughs> I hate to laugh at somebody who died, but this is just a clear case of Darwinism at work. Should have used a selfie stick. Should have (laughs) used. Maybe don't point a gun at yourself. I don't know. That's just silliness, guys. Look, I am all like a true instructor, Matthew. (laughs) Don't point a gun at yourself. Don't. There you go. I mean, doesn't that work? If you don't Don't point point at yourself, you won't die. Yep. No, really. I mean, I'm all for, you know, shooting, be, cameras. B- shooting cameras as I've done myself. I'm all for being out there with being a firearms owner. I know I know not everybody is. Some people like to, you know, they they own guns and they're quiet about it because, you know, they've got good reasons, but I'm an advocate for the sport. And so I want people to know that I have guns. I got no problem with photographing my guns, photographing myself with guns and putting them on Facebook, what have you. But I never point the gun at myself. You know, I'm always very careful. The guns never have bullets in them unless I'm actually at the range shooting. And in that case, I'm actually shooting down range, sometimes at my camera, sometimes I hit it, whatever. Nobody died. But you don't point a gun at yourself, ever. I mean, that's just, oh, drives me nuts. Do you remember the time Matthew's CGN melted because some guy posted a video of himself twirling his Glock on his finger like a cowboy gun? That wasn't a Glock. That was a a Sig Mosquito, but... uh... They just lost it. <laughs> they really did. Uh, you know, and that, and that was dumb. That was very dumb. Oh, but well. uh, we live and learn. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what, did you want to take the next one? 
<laughs> no, I'm not done with Matthew yet. No. <laughs> Raise your hand if you're on this podcast and you want someone to sig mosquito. No, no, no. Oh, Matthew, Matthew, is that your hand? Yeah, but I, I put it down again real fast, hoping you wouldn't see it. You can hang up on me anytime. I also sold that gun very quickly and did actually buy a Glock. And then I sold that Glock and got an SR9. And, and it went on from there. But yeah, I look, I've owned m- hundreds of guns. And I went through all kinds of them. And it was because it was the only way I could experience shooting them. I, uh, you know, we don't have ranges where you can rent guns around here. So if I want to try something out, I got to go buy one. Then I shoot it and I decide if I like it or not. And then I sell it and I figure it's just a rental fee, whatever I lose in the sale. But, uh, you know, yeah. So I owned a Sig Mosquito. Shut up. <laughs> no, but let, let's bring it back around in all seriousness, seriousness here for a second. The, the moment you get complacent, that's when accidents happen. I don't know if you have, if you've listened to this week's episode of Modern Rifleman Radio yet. Ken Kowalski, who is um, a um, gunsmith student, has a instructor who's a master gunsmith and precision rifle maker who's missing the tip of his finger. He blew it off with a very large caliber round, and he did it because he just brain farted in one of his procedures that he does when checking a chamber and accidentally checked a chamber with a live round. The gun was in the say in, in, in the vice, and he blew the tip of his finger off. Something that he's done a probably thousand times, and one lapse in concentration, and that's what happened. That's all it so, takes. Yeah, you you know. So as a reminder to our listeners, when you're working on a firearm, do not have live ammunition in the room. When you're dry firing, do not have live ammunition in the room. Only load your guns with live ammunition where it's legal to discharge them. That's in an area where it's safe and control the muzzle at all times. Don't let it pass in front of anything. You are not willing to destroy. Never forget what you're holding in your hands. All right. We good with that? Uh, um, That's great. That's fantastic. Couldn't have said it better myself. All right. The next one comes from James. Two people are facing multiple weapons charges following a police investigation related to a potential threat at IMP Aerospace and Defense near Halifax International Airport. According to Halifax Regional Police, officers arrested a 48-year-old man and a 46-year-old woman around 9 a.m., Thursday following the execution of three separate search warrants in Dartmouth and Nine Mile River. Police seized ammunition, magazines for firearms, and locked and a locked gun case believed to contain a firearm. Well, it looks like a duck. At least it was locked. <laughs> and two of the three uh, properties, from two of the three properties that were searched. A man and woman were each charged with four counts of possession of a prohibited device in relation to four overcapacity cartridge magazines for a rifle. It better not have been Beowulf mags. <laughs> a man appeared in Dartmouth Provincial Court Friday morning, and the woman is set to appear on April 19th. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, it was really weird. Weapons started related to a potential threat. So, um, disgruntled employees got just speculation. I'm speculating here. I don't know. Um, Perhaps these were employees who were disgruntled, got fired, made a threat. Um, management called police. Police executed a search warrant and found some guns and arrested them. The only thing they say about illegal items, the prohibited items, were the were the rifle mags, which were probably in reality full capacity magazines for like uh, an AR. Yeah, who knows? They could just be LAR mags and Beowulf mags. And they just don't see a lot around there. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So. All right. Awesome. 
Uh, well, why don't we get into our main topic here and uh, have a chat with Remy. So I wanted to welcome to the show Remy Doucette. Remy is uh, an IPSC production shooter who's sponsored by Grand Power from Ottawa, Canada. Welcome to the show, Remy. Hey, uh, thanks for having me. So, um, you know, one of the one of the things that uh, that me and the other Slam Fire guys were talking about when we uh, when we we're kind of going through some ideas on future show uh, topics was getting someone on who was was like way better than us at uh, at shooting and kind of picking their brain on. <laughs> Tre- Trevor laughs because he's like, "What do you mean he's better than me?" Oh, he's way better than us. We'll get to it. <laughs> and uh, and and picking their brain over. Um, how they shoot, like breakthroughs that they had, and all these other things. So, uh, uh, you know, Trevor connected us, and and thank you, thanks for that, Trevor. And I kind of wanted to uh, to ask you a little bit about uh, about how you got into the sport, and uh, and 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 how you ended up where you are right now. Like like on a, on a, on a national level, where do you typically place? Um, well, so I've I've probably shot uh, I've shot three nationals so far, and um, basically my track record so far is. Second. Uh, second, first, and second. So, what year did you get your first, Remy? Uh, it was 2014. That was uh, Nationals in BC. Okay, cool. And I, if I, um, if am I correct that um, 2013 in Restigouche was your first Nationals? That's correct. And am I also correct in that you placed second at the Canadian Nationals your first time ever? That's right. Yeah, so that's a hell of a good showing when you show up and your very first Nationals, you finish second. That just means he's a sandbagger, right? <laughs> yeah, that's no, where you no. want a sandbag. Is that yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did it rain that year? Did only two people show up? <laughs> no, actually, if I could toot Resigus's horn, that was the largest Ipsic Nationals held in 36 years. Yeah, what did you play? Nice, that was a nice match for sure. Yeah. Some awesome stages. Yeah, I think Kelly asked Trevor where he placed. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Oh, that year? 2013? Oh, probably middle of the pack. I was on the standard team for New Brunswick, and my goal was actually to place highest um, among us four, and I was second behind Harold. But overall, I think I was probably about halfway down the pack. It was uh, a very challenging match for me. Um, I had a pile of mics, more mics in that one match than I had all summer combined. Uh, Sold the Glock right after the match and bought my 2011. I think okay. I need it. So need um, let's uh, maybe let's ask the the uh, winner a couple more questions then. <laughs> <laughs> Someone who doesn't have excuses for their equipment. Uh, by, by the way, what kind of pistol do you shoot? Well, Hugh just said that he was sponsored by Grand Power. <laughs> Lame. Oh God! It's um, it's a Grand Power Excalibur. So it's a relatively new gun that's uh, it's come out probably the last year and a half, two years. Um, I mean. Basically, Grand Power, the uh, the company, and and that gun specifically, it's it, for Ipsic. It's been around for 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 actually a decent amount of time. Um, it was popular in Europe, and pretty much as of about two years ago, they were looking to expand uh, into North America, so Canada and the state and the states. And as a result, that's kind of when um, they sort of uh, kind of got headhunted from them. So they they uh, I think after it was actually after uh, 2014 Nationals. Um, I got contacted and they said, uh, "Hey, have you ever heard of this gun? And would you like to try it?" And it pretty much went from there. So, were you a competitive shooter before uh, getting into the IPSC? Um, no, uh, no, I'd, I'd never, I'd never really done anything uh, IPSC related, uh, or even really heard of IPSC until until I started doing the sport. Uh, I mean, it's it's kind of funny. I'd, 
I mean, this is, this is a great sport. And as soon as I, I remember thinking, as soon as I found out what this was, I had been basically shooting for a year prior, uh, you know, just kind of target shooting at a, at a club and, you know, bought my first handgun and whatever else. And then I had a coworker who, who showed me what Ipsic was. And as soon as I saw a video, I was like, oh my God, why aren't I doing this? <laughs> <laughs> so you went, you went from buying your first pistol to uh, second at the nationals in uh, a year, two years. Uh, probably in, no, well, three years time, I think from, uh, let me think something like, I think within three years, within two or three years of starting Ipsic, I was, yeah, I think that was 2014. And, uh, in, in terms of like how you got there, like, did you, uh, did you have some, some really important instructors? Did you watch YouTube videos? How did you, how did you get to, uh, such a high rank at such a, such a short period of time? Um, I was pretty, when I, when I started, um, when I started IPSIC, I, I should say I'm, I was pretty lucky because the sort of the surrounding community, like the group of shooters that were at my, my local club were, were pretty, were, were very good shooters. Um, I mean, they were certainly at the very least, they were a level shooters. Uh, and, and some had even been master and grandmaster level shooters in sort of the old system of classifications. So, I mean, they were, you know, they're, they're very old shooters and they're very, they, they were very knowledgeable. So, I mean, I kind of just watched them shoot a lot of the time and, you know, I'd shoot a stage and they'd shoot a stage and I kind of, I just kept asking them questions and it, it's kind of how it started a lot of the time. And, uh, and yeah, I'd, for sure. I watched videos and try to learn on my own. Um, a lot of it too kind of comes from your own, your own discovery as well. So, uh, as well with through the club, I got, I got a chance to become, um, uh, I became like sort of a range officer at the club. And, and as a result, you get, uh, you get some solo access, uh, shooting time. And from that, I, you know, I had some evenings and some, some free time to kind of, um, not only did I watch other shooters, um, shoot like a stage in a certain way, or, or, or you know, I'd, I'd learn about techniques and things like that. I'd also get to kind of perfect it and try it myself and see what works. So, it kind of started started like that. How many uh, like how much how many hours a week do you have to put into to keep your practice and your training up? Um, I don't know if I think about it in terms of hours, but I mean, I've I've always got I'm always trying to to pick up the gun at least like every day or every other day, um, you know. And that could maybe just be for at this point, it could maybe just be for for five ten minutes, kind of do a little bit of dry fire. Um, but I do normally, I try and shoot at least once a week, sometimes twice a week. If it's, um, you know, if, if a big match is coming up, I'll definitely sort of increase my intensity a little bit. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Um, what, uh, what finding or, or what realization do you think helped with your, your biggest breakthrough when you're kind of uh, going along your path? Oh God. Um, biggest breakthrough. No, that's fine. You can say God. If you want to thank God, go ahead. <laughs> for Trevor, it was switching guns. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah, but the wasn't doing it for you. Not um, so much. Oh, actually, um, interestingly enough, um, when I when I first started shooting, I had um, I was shooting a Sig two two six. That was my first handgun, and and I remember I shot that for a while. For about two years, and then and then I finally got my hands on a um, uh, a CZ Shadow, and that was sort of that's just kind of what everybody's shooting the club, and I could see is like, well, you know, if all the top guys are shooting that at the time, so well, I might as well grab one. And I remember thinking, as soon as I got as soon as I got a gun that was sort of tuned and 
because uh, I mean, my my two two six was pretty well stock, like nothing. I had never really done any gunsmithing or anything to it. And as soon as I got my hands on a gun that was sort of more, um, was sort of more uh, competition ready, all of a sudden it was you know day into night. I was immediately several seconds faster on any stage, and it was it was sort of like a realization that the equipment matters to us like quite a bit sometimes. Very cool. Uh, when when you see some of the beginner shooters around your club, what kind of mistakes do you see the most often? Um, hmm. A lot of it will be, um, I think, a lot of it will be, uh, you know, even simple things like um, like like planning reloads. A lot of the time, I'll see I'll see shooters. They've they've sort of you know they they'll they'll run up after say shooting four targets, and they'll they'll run up to another bank of three or four targets, and they just don't seem to realize that they have to reload and you know then then that forces them doing a standing reload or um uh, a lot of the times it can be positional stuff like the way um the way they're they're kind of engaging the target or uh or even you know like uh, foot placement is, is actually a lot of a, lo- a lot of a big part of it as well so i mean say if you've got uh you know a target to the left and to the right well which which one do you enter with to be able to swing to, uh, like if you're entering on the left target, you have your left foot forward, so, that, so you'll be able to swing right at the end. And it's just sort of like, it's, it's simple things like that, but it's, you wouldn't necessarily know it, know it unless, you, unless you've seen someone do it or um, have thought about that on your own. Interesting. Uh, Go ahead, Trevor. I a question, um, Adriel? <clears throat> Remy, when you come to uh, a match um, like the Nationals or, or SummerSlam, and you've got these elaborate stages like, like the house which is actually literally two stories and, and the maze, I've seen you rip these things apart. Now, what, what do you do to prepare for a stage like that where your home club, I don't imagine has those facilities or do you guys have like props like that out there that you can practice on? How does, how does a new shooter or shooter from uh, a small club with a shared range prepare for something like the house or the maze? Um, yes. First off, I got to say that, I mean, I have never seen stages like, like the first time I shot uh, shot at your club. I've never seen stages like that, and those were really awesome, like the house and what and and those sort of setups. Just because nowhere else has sort of that much, um, you know, no one else goes to the trouble to build something like a two story level uh, stage. Um, so yeah, no, I, I never really uh, had a chance to practice something like that necessarily. But uh, what I could say is that. Sort of the principles of breaking down a stage are pretty same well on the second the floor as they are on the first. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> they're the same on the second floor as they are on the first. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're always like when I'm looking at a stage, I'm always trying to break it down into into um, you know groups of four or five targets, right? You're trying to maximize the use out of your mags, and and you're always thinking, well, uh, you know, you want to make sure that you're not you're not going to have any dead time anywhere. Um, you know, I'm watching like, okay, where's the best, it's pretty much where, where's the best place to do your reloads. Um, if you know that you don't want to make it, you don't want to make, give yourself like a hard time and, and have to do sort of a tight reload to get into a spot or, um, or that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of it. It's, and, and a lot of time it's, uh, especially for something like the maze where it's a lot of running around. Like for that, I remember I was trying to be very fluid. So, you know, it's, it's sort of the mantra of, um, you know, some of those good shooters were always beating, uh, beating this saying into me is that, uh, smooth is fast and fast is smooth. So, 
a lot of the time, even it may not even feel the fastest way, like especially when you're running it. But then you, you kind of look at yourself in a video or, you know, the timer will, will sort of tell the tale that if you, if you can do something as, as smooth as you can, as smooth as possible, usually that's the fastest way. So. Yeah. No wasted movements, no bubbles. Mm. I also noticed that, uh, you take your walkthroughs very seriously. You are doing, um, you're very, very focused. Uh, you, you know, like somebody could figure out how to shoot the stage by watching you do your walkthrough. Um, and then I see you with your eyes closed, you appear to be visualizing and, uh, you're, you're physically changing your mags as you're going through your walkthrough. How important is that? Oh, it, it comes down to, there's a whole sort of, uh, mental aspect to shooting too. I mean, I, for sure, I, I, I'm definitely very focused, especially at a, at a nationals type of match. Um, you know, your uh, and the visualization. I mean, you try and get every aspect on your side. Uh, and, and you know, the, the visualization, visual, uh, sorry, the visualizations. Uh, that that side of it is has a lot to do with making sure you don't mess up your walkthrough, right? Um, you know, a lot of people will, a lot of people will will have their their walkthrough, but as soon as the beeper goes off. Yeah, it's gone. Uh, that sets in and yeah, that happens to me all the time. Beep! What the crap am I gonna do? <laughs> like, what was to do, oh man? What's my name? <laughs> what do you mean beep? <laughs> yeah, beep. What? <laughs> yeah, so it's um, it's all about uh, yeah, visualizations. It's all about remaining calm too. I mean, if you the calmer you can be, uh, the calmer you can be when when the beeper goes off, the 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 better your odds are of, of doing better in the stage. Especially, it's all—it's a lot of it is about starting the stage, really. Um, so, I mean, your and 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 if you watch like a lot of really good shooters in the world, they'll even have like kind of a, a breathing technique. You'll even see them; they'll they'll exhale right before the beeper goes off. They'll be, you know, are you ready? Inhale, stand by, exhale slowly, just sort of a half breath, and then when the beeper goes off, that's sort of a calming technique, so that when they draw the gun, they're not they're not um, you know feeling any stress or anything. They just kind of execute their plan. Nice. So, uh, what other kind of equipment do you have, and, and what would you consider really critical to your uh, to your, your shooting equipment? Yeah, say pistol. Say 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 your pistol. <laughs> that too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, a gun, holster, mags, those things. Those things you know help in a match. Um, tennis shoes. Tennis shoes. No skateboard yeah, shoes uh, with flat bottoms. Yeah, definitely, definitely a good pair of uh, uh, like almost cleat type of shoes for outside what uh, do you wear yeah you don't want to slip uh as well too i mean bring bring food and water i mean a lot of these matches uh you know if you're shooting shooting a full day especially in some of these um some of these matches i mean you it's, it's almost a test of stamina more than more than just shooting so yeah we've discovered that in fact trevor is known for starving out his uh, competitors at <laughs> matches one time and just, you'll never live it down either. Apparently not. <laughs> uh, the important thing to remember is I shot better than you guys that day. Well, that's because you were fed. That's right. Because um, I brought food. Uh, prepared. <laughs> yeah, uh, don't worry, guys. There's a barbecue there. You don't need to bring nothing. <laughs> but no, I, I understand that completely. Uh, there are several times, several matches where uh, I can remember sort of hitting a wall at, at lunchtime and I just wasn't hydrated enough or fed enough. And, and that really impacts your game. Um, Trevor and I have learned that if we eat well and drink lots of fluids, we shoot way better in the afternoon. Mm. Especially, there's one match we do down here, Remy, called the Southern New Brunswick 250. It's a level three match with 250 rounds in one day. 
So it can be uh, quite the. It's if you want to win that match, you've got to be in condition uh, yep. because the guys who can maintain and shoot to the same level in the last stage that they started the first stage with, those are the guys that are going that are going to finish in the top three, right? I I prefer to shoot as well as I do in the third stage. Usually, that's usually my best <laughs> stage. And and that's a question actually, Remy. Do you find that there are certain points of your game each match that you seem to do better than others? Um, oh yeah, for sure. I, I always have a little bit more trouble on the first stage. Right. Um, I, I tend to shoot a little bit better as the day goes on. Um, that's almost why I, I, uh, you know, a long match, I'll actually prefer to shoot it all in one day because I kind of get warmed up and I stay warmed up. Yeah, you don't have two cold starts in one match. I mean, that would be the worst. I mean, if your first first match, I mean, if, if any of your stages is the worst one, you don't want to have two of them. You just want to do it once and get it over with. Well, and yeah. especially depends on the hit factor. If you, yeah. If you start, if you know, that's something, though, I don't know over me, would you think that's, a, that's just a part of your mental game that you need to work on? Um, yeah, it's, I think, I think so. It's, um, I mean, because I, I don't necessarily see everybody having the same trouble with their first stage, although, uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, just the fact of being cold uh, does does affect uh, does have an, have its effect. Do you do any sort of like physical warm up before you start shooting a, a match? I I know you know all stretch and stuff, but do you like I don't know jog in place or jumping jacks or something to get kind of warmed up, or do you just sort of stretch and then go? Uh, I mean, yeah, maybe like a very slight type of. Uh, I, I, I I wouldn't say run in place, but. Um, you know, at least, yeah, maybe at the very least, sort of a stretch. And uh, I mean, if it's if we're outside and it's sort of a little bit colder weather in the morning or something, then yeah, I might kind of run a bit just to just to warm up, but nothing too major, I would say. Okay, interesting. I I like to try and get my heart rate elevated a little bit, which for me doesn't take much. He just talks to me for about five minutes and he's gone. No, that's temper. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, normally, like at my club, I'm usually. A match director, so I'm always running for something. So by the time I get to shoot my first stage, I'm already warmed up and tired. <laughs> <laughs> now, you shoot production. Have you modified? I know you can't really modify your, your Excalibur, but have you done anything to it at all to try and increase your performance? Um, well, not not a great deal, really. I mean, the, the gun is actually designed to be IPSC ready out of the box. Okay. And it largely is, um, I mean, really, it's um, pretty much the only thing I've, I've done to it was uh, I had a grip tape to it. That's about it. Um, I think I took it apart uh, a few times in the beginning. and I, I might have tried to kind of polish the sear a little bit just to kind of smooth up the trigger. But, I mean, it, mm. really, it really didn't need much at all. Um, I've, I've since, uh, and that was my first gun. I've got two of them. Second one I've, I've received fairly recently. And that one is, is, is like, I don't need to do anything to it other than grip tape at this point. So what size backstrap are you running on that one on your Excaliburs? Um, so there's four backstraps. I'm running the, uh, I think the, the, the third one. So the second, second largest, right. The one is then the second, you know, one step up from, from the, the largest one. All right. The largest one is the one with the big beaver tail, right? Yes. So the, yeah, yeah, sorry, the one under that one. Okay. Now I found that one the most comfortable. Dave Dave sent me out his gun to um do a T and E on for the show and um I loved it. I, I really liked how it felt in my hand with the largest backstrap, but unfortunately I uh 
trigger reach was an issue for me on the double action and single action was great. So there was a trade off there. I probably, if I was going to run it competitively, I would probably sacrifice a little bit of grip to decrease the trigger pull or the length of pull so that I could get on the trigger better in the uh, double action. Yeah, and, and um, you're actually not the first person to mention that to me. Like it, 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 I guess it depends with the size of your hand and, and exactly, your reach. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, from, from the moment I, I, uh, I got my hands on it, I, I can't say I've had that problem, but um, I've had at least one of my friends tell me about that. So, um, If there was a way to adjust the pre-travel to knock it back some, then it would be, you know, just even change the angle of the trigger shoe. It would be awesome. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Remy, uh, what other kind of uh, tips would you have for beginners out there who are just getting kind of getting started in it, other than practice a lot and get second in your first nationals? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd probably say it's all about accuracy. Um, you know, if you may not know the, you may not know all the all the you know the big techniques to to kind of um, improve your speed and everything, but. Uh, the best thing you can do is, is, you know, if you can make a, at least a three inch group at 20, 20 meters or so, and, and even try and improve upon that as best you can, like, uh, at no point will having better accuracy be a detriment, right? Uh, what I tell people is that, you know, when you, when you start moving, um, your accuracy will, will widen and start to, to suffer, quote unquote. So, I mean, you need to have, if you're going to start moving, you need to have something to sacrifice. So if your if your accuracy is already is already kind of kind of pretty pretty large if your grouping's large well then it's just going to get worse from there. So work up on accuracy. Yep. Uh, so <laughs> take that, Brian Bolivar. <laughs> <laughs> well, so many people criticize our sport, Remy, saying that uh, it's all about speed, and I find that most of the people that say that aren't actually competitive IPSC shooters. When you talk to the competitive IPSC shooters, they say what you said: accuracy is the most important thing. And I found that firsthand, actually. I, I'm, I'm a quick runner. I'm quick on my feet, but my scores don't reflect that unless I actually take the time to slow down and aim my shots. I mean, you can run as fast as you want, but if you can't hit nothing, you're not getting any points. Um, the last couple of years, I've learned to really focus on, you know, getting my A's. And uh, ever since I've done that, I've I've seen my scores go up. Yeah, you've um, climbed and, the rankings here in New Brunswick. Yeah, and I still run as fast as I can, but I slow down and I stop for my shots that I need to take if I know I can't do them on the run. And there's no sense in you know spraying, right? You you might as well might as well get those hits. Who cares if it's a a second or two? If you miss them, that's that's a lot more painful than uh, than a second. For sure, and and I mean that's that's even probably something. Um, now that you mention it, that's something that you, you could probably tell uh, a new aspiring shooter is that uh, move fast and shoot slow. Yeah. So you know, there, there's nothing stopping you from getting to to the next position as fast as you can, and then trying entering, trying to be smooth entering into it, entering into it, and then just take your shots uh, normally and as if you're just standing on the line. That's right, and then take off out of there as fast as you can. That's right. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, any other questions, guys? Uh, I was just wondering, do you shoot anything else? Like, uh, uh, do you do you shoot rifle at all? Do you shoot three gun? Do you shoot shotgun? And and not even competitively, do you do you just do you find uh, other aspects of the shooting sport uh, interesting or or something that you do just sort of as a fun or as a hobby or for fun? Um, yeah, I mean, in in the uh, I haven't shot it in probably uh, at least uh, two three years, but uh, I used to shoot IDP, IDPA a little bit. Um, it was sort of a, I, I looked at it more as a bit of a cross training because. Right. I did find it was it was good because IDP is very accuracy based. 
Yes. Uh, a little bit less on the speed component. So, you know, I'd, we'd have local clubs that put on IDP matches and it'd be, it'd be a whole lot of fun to go shoot that sometimes too. So, um, and on top of that too, I mean, I, uh, uh, yeah, I, I have uh, shotguns and rifles. Uh, I do hunt every now and then. Um, so that's actually what I, I mean, I've, uh, my father's a, is a hunter. So, I mean, I, at a young age, I, I kind of started, that was sort of my intro into firearms in general. Very uh, nice. Later on came the pistol. Right. Yeah, I think that's a lot days? of people's. What's that? What do you hunt? Um, uh, I've hunted uh, moose, deer, uh, rabbit, goose, duck. Recently started uh, doing turkey, actually. Yeah, turkey's awesome. I love turkey hunting. Yeah. Cool. Any other questions, guys? I don't have anything else. Not good. Well, um, just on, on behalf of Slamfire Radio, I wanted to thank you again, Remy. It was, uh, it was really insightful. And I think, uh, I think one of the things that surprised me the most was just how quickly you got into, you know, from, from buying your pistol to, to getting nationally competitive. So I think that's, uh, that's very telling in that, um, you know, everyone out there, if they want to, if they want to get into doing IPSEC, they should get into it and focus and, uh, and maybe they can, maybe they can do just as well. For sure. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's definitely possible. Um, I mean, when I, when I came into the sport, originally a lot of people were telling me, oh, it's, it's impossible to, to do well at nationals. All those guys are sponsored and they shoot 60,000 rounds a year and all the rest. And I mean, I, I got there with way less than that. So it was sort of a, you know, sort of a proof to myself that it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's a, that's a really valid point of, uh, of data. Just, just how, how quickly you got there, and I think it's uh, I think it's very interesting, and I think uh, I think our listeners will find it interesting as well. So uh, yeah, I wanted to thank you, and uh, thanks thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. And once again, I wanted to thank Remy for coming on. That was uh, that was really informative, and uh, it's really interesting to talk to someone who's kind of at that level at uh, at, at the national level, really, of uh, competitiveness. So thanks again, Remy. Uh, why don't we get on to listener feedback? I'll take this first one from Mark Price. This came to us from Facebook. Uh, and he asked, what color lenses, if any, do you prefer in your safety glasses? I might be getting some prescription safety glasses soon. I just wear safety contacts and I don't worry about it. <laughs> from so. <laughs> got to think out of the box, hey? That's right. Have you guys tried tinted uh, safety glasses? Uh, yes, I've shot with uh, yellow uh, or amber, I don't know, whatever they call it. It's yellow. Um, and on cloudy days, I right. like it. For some reason, it right. seems to give some, some added contrast and I can, you know, I can just pick out things a little bit better. Um, but on, on bright sunny days, I prefer sunglasses. I prefer gray. Uh, I like to, to block. I got very sensitive eyes when it comes to light. So I'm, I'm always wearing darker tinted, uh, safety glasses whenever I'm shooting during the day. But, uh, yeah, on a cloudy day, yellow, I like. Yeah, I've tried the yellow ones as well. Um, I, I could take them or leave them. I don't really care whether they're clear or yellow, as long as they're as long as they're really clear and they're not scratched up or hazy or anything like that. I find with the yellow ones, a, a couple of colors end up looking really weird at the end of the day as well. Mm, I know that um, trap shooters are loving the yellow, but they're looking up in the sky all the time, so it may have something to do with contrast for the for the for the bird that's flying. Uh, like Matthew, I've tried yellow, but I've also tried some of the high end, like Rudy Project and, um, and Oakley. And if you buy a professional set of Rudy Project, um, glasses, they will come with a set of lenses and they kind of give you instructions as to 
where are these indoors, where are these on a cloudy day, where are these on a sunny day, and it's not just yellow. And um, some people are liking a red tint. And um, if you've not tried Rudy Project, I know Mo runs them and Muffin runs them, and it's amazing when you put them on. It just kind of breaks things up and almost makes things appear. I know we, we see in 3D, so this sounds stupid, but it, it makes things appear to be even more 3D. It really breaks up the background and the foreground and, and gives a sharper contrast to the items you're looking at. Yeah, I think uh, polarizing lenses on a really bright day are excellent for that. They kind of block out the haze and they sharpen things up quite a bit. I find with, if I'm going to go uh, uh, gopher hunting, uh, running a pair of polarized sunglasses on a really sunny day is that's the definitely the way to go. Easier to see things, and it's you're you don't have to squint quite as much as uh, either. Mm. Uh, the the yellow tinted glasses. Uh, now that you mentioned with trap, yellow is blocking out the blue wavelength. I think so. Maybe that's that has to do with like looking up in the sky and just having that like block out more of the background light, so you can see the clay a little bit easier. Yeah, yellow actually brightens everything up. So yeah, and yeah. block out some of the some of the. Uh, bright sky in behind so you can see that uh, that clay a little bit easier. Yep. Interesting. Uh, the next one here is from Mark, and uh, I'll have to put the, the link into the show notes. He was just uh, commenting that he bet Trevor could make up an hour of talk about this, and he had linked to a Rick Mercer uh, video on archery. I don't know. Did you guys get a chance to watch that one? Uh, I watched some of it. I've, uh, I've shot at that facility and uh, worked with um, Joan McDonald the coach that he starts off his piece talking to, we've had her come to New Brunswick to give us um, some clinics on how to coach Olympic-style archery because it's very diff- different from compound and it's very different. And she is the most qualified coach in Canada, arguably, as far as experience and qualification. And um, just, yeah, so uh, I'll have to watch it and get a kick out of him uh, shooting. This should be good, but... Um, no, those are the, the real deal where he went and the people he worked with. So curious to see what it's going to be like. He's going to wear an apple on his head and he's going to run one of those those rubber-tipped uh, arrows that's got the suction cup on him. I hope so. That actually <laughs> sounds about right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, if you'd like to hear your email read on the air, uh, please send an email to the show at slamfireradio at gmail.com. Uh, now, I, d- I did check the iTunes just before the show here, and we didn't have any new reviews. But uh, so far, we have 95 reviews on the Canadian feed, 27 on U.S., and one in Australia. So if you'd like to, check us out on iTunes. Uh, leave a Come review. Come on, North it's... Korea. Get with it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now someone's going to spoof their uh, their IP, and they're going to do a North Korean review. Oh, that'll be <laughs> fun, too. <laughs> Uh, if you'd like to, uh, uh, please leave a review for the show on iTunes. Uh, it kind of helps us, uh, get found and helps us show up a little bit, a little bit higher. So if you can leave, uh, only five star reviews are accepted. So it'll have to be a five star review. That's right. And, uh, thank you very much to those who already have left reviews for us. It definitely, uh, helps out and, uh, gives us a little bit more gas in the tank to keep doing this too, right? Uh, yeah, any shoutouts? <laughs> I got one to Jason Groves from Valkyrie Defense. You're dead to me. That means he's special. <laughs> he can interpret it whatever way he wants. No, those guys cracked me up. And actually, spoiler, uh, Jason Groves, Brian Sheets, and Ken Kowalski will be joining us next week to talk about 
uh, portable trauma kits for your car. We're not talking scratch and dent type. As I was just going to make that joke, so thank you for cutting me off in advance. You, I, what? <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're welcome. I think. Yeah. Any other so. shoutouts? <laughs> <laughs> I actually did have a shout-out. I, I thought of it earlier today, and I can't remember what it is now. So whoever you are, I, I was thinking of you, but you are no longer important enough for me to remember who you are. So I'm sorry. <laughs> But it was, it, I thought of you earlier, so I don't know. Everybody, I guess, can just hope it's yourself. And, you know, I'm shouting out everybody, I guess. I don't know. Wow. Trevor, you should have cut me off again. <laughs> I should have, but it was much funner to watch you. <laughs> just let her go. Just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dig that hole, buddy. Dig up, stupid. I'm trying. Exactly. All right. Oh, I'm I have done. Somebody. Yeah, thank you, uh, Kelly. Say something meaningful. <laughs> I was going to say, I have one. And I have one for Brian. Brian with a Y. And just to say, he's totally awesome, man. <laughs> Anyways, that's Talk it. Bolivar? <laughs> yeah. Okay, totally awesome Bolivar. Yeah, he is. Bolivar is totally awesome. Yes. You know, and yeah, I got a show for Brian. You know what you did for me this week. <laughs> Carry on. He's not drinking your Kool-Aid, though. <laughs> no, God, no. 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 That's just, that's, he's, yeah. He's, yeah. Anyways, that's it. All right, then. Well, let's uh, sign this thing off. Please join one of our, or one or both of our national firearms associations like the CCFR or the CSSA. It's important to support those that support us. Check us out on Gun Owners of Canada. It's a firearms for, uh, forum online. We've got a forum in there where you can comment on our shows. Like us on Facebook. We have 1,392 likes. And uh, there's a lot of discussion that happens there as well on our shows. We have 93 thumbs up, five gold stars, and two flukes. Uh, Any uh, final words of wisdom? I I don't think there were any words of wisdom to begin with. (laughs) (laughs) For me, he had a thing or two to say. Well, he was cool, yeah. Yeah. He was good. But uh, but yeah. No, I'm I'm good. I guess I I would just like to say we'll see you next week. Good night, everyone. So if you have any comments or questions for the show, please send an email to slamfireradio at gmail.com. Now go grab a gun and shoot something. When the talking is over, it's time to get a gun.